Therapist Uncensored brings you decades of experience with interpersonal psychotherapy, relational neuroscience, modern attachment, and anything else they think will be helpful in healing humans. Now, here are your co-hosts, Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Hey, everybody. Ann Kelly here. As you may have noticed, Sue and I have been taking some time to catch up with ourselves. And during this time, we've had the opportunity to really reflect on where we are and where we'd like to go. You know, sometimes you just have to get out of the weeds to see the path. And that's what we've been doing. And it's been really effective. And during this time, we've been able to share some of your favorite episodes again for rediscovery. This content is such that often it takes a few times through to sort of really be able to grasp it, to be able to apply it to your everyday lives. So with our pause, though, we are excited to say that we're both rejuvenated and resourced, and we will be launching season six, November 2nd. So in the meantime, we're going to bring back the three episodes that are most requested, episodes 59, 60, and 61, because those are our core episodes around the different attachment styles. And we think this is a really good jumping off point where as we continue in our new season to revise and update our working theories, it'll be great for everyone to have just have it really refreshed in their minds. And a total side note, it's with a great coincidence that these three episodes will be actually 159, 160, and 161 could not have landed better. So it's I take this definitely as a sign that it's a perfect way to jump off our new Therapist Uncensored season and year. Mark your calendars for November 2nd for our brand spanking new content and guest. And there are also other changes to be announced at that time. All right, let's jump in. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. I am Sue Marriott. And I'm Ann Kelly. Welcome to today's episode. So today we're going to talk about attachment and we're going to talk about the continuum of attachment all the way over to the right and what we call the red, the anxious preoccupied attachment category. So let's stop for just a second, for those of you that this isn't familiar to, and Sue, why don't you tap in? What are we talking about? (laughs) So what you might want to do, because we don't want to just repeat things over and over on these episodes, but at the same time, we know that somebody might be just tuning in. So if you go back one episode to 59, we cover more of the basics, and we're going to jump in a little bit further than that this time. And also in episode 37, we talk about disorganized attachment, organizing the disorganized And basically what the research shows is that there are four roughly organized categories. That's one way to think of it from a research perspective that are pretty stable. Lots of research that shows that this is, uh, is very solid findings, right? Organized categories of attachment. Organized categories of attachment. There's organized secure, organized insecure, which is two different ones, which is preoccupied and dismissive. And then there's something called disorganized. So that's just a quick, very, very fast review. And in episode 59, we gave a, a pretty ex, uh, detailed description of dismissive attachment. That's right. So. And we've also spoken, the re- only reason we're covering this again is because we're going to jump right into preoccupied. But we've also covered the difference between these categories, which are the internal working models. They're the unconscious blueprint that has been created from childhood versus our regulatory system, which is much more movable, like in any moment in a day, we might feel more activated or less activated. And what our argument is in general is that the more that we understand 
what our system, our brain is doing and our mind is doing. And if we're on the blue side or the red side at any given moment, then we know which direction to go. We're looking for a balance of thinking and feeling. So today's episode is going to be talking about the red side of the attachment spectrum, which is preoccupied or what some people call anxious or angry, ambivalent. There's lots of words for it, but it's going to be the hyperactivation of the attachment system. So what it looks like when you are on the red side is, first of all, let's talk about what the research says about parents, basically these kids that end up in the category of preoccupied. Typically, often, again, just from a research perspective, not from an individual case perspective, that their parents tend to be inconsistent and variable. These are the kids that had hope and disappointment and hope and disappointment. And the parents were sometimes there for them, but also disappointing. You know, that's as opposed to the blue side, which is on the more dismissive side, where that these kids learned to deactivate or to bypass their need. In other words, these are the kids that had given up hope. On the right side or the red side, these are the kids that are hyperactivated, meaning that they really cling and seek and hold on to their attachment figure because of their insecurity. Parents on this side, you know, parenting is hard. It is not an easy thing to do. And how we were raised and how comfortable we feel with that kind of relationship with our infant really impacts how we engage. And so some parents have a lot of insecurity about their parenting. They feel doubt, they feel insecure, and when their infant is distressed or in need of them, sometimes it creates actually a sense of doubt and insecurity that the infant can pick up. That's right. The research shows that these parents often are fearful in their parenting. And so the infant, as they look, or the toddler or the child, school-aged child, as they look up to this bigger, wiser other, they see the fear in the parent. Or they feel it. They can they feel doubt. That's right. And so what ends up happening is rather than feeling attuned to and responded to, these kids end up being anxious and worried, and they basically get into this vigilant state where they're watching the parent's mood and then they're responding to the parent's state of mind and they get very involved in what's happening with mom or dad. Right. And that's the the term preoccupied is that what we ideally want between an infant and a parent is for the infant to feel a sense of safety that they can be into their own process if they get upset the mother or the caregiver is going to tune to them. And so therefore they can kind of relax in their body and know they're taken care of. And that like kind of just go on being. Right. And in, in a preoccupied attachment, it develops, and that's what we're talking about. How does it develop? It develops from a sense of my body can't quite relax because I can feel that the caretaker around me taking care of me has a sense of unsettledness. It's, it's not a calming feeling for them. So their body stays a little bit more alert and attuned and says, I can't kind of relax and disappear into myself because I can't really feel that security around me. So I'm going to watch and stay attuned to when my parent can attend to me and feel safe. Some of the other research talks about poor timing. So it's not that the parents aren't responsive. It's that they're just misattuned. So sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. But in particular, you know, as we talked about on the blue side or on the dismissive side, those parents will tend to 
selectively pay attention to when the child is happy and playing and exploring. Lots of reinforcement. Lots of reinforcement. You know, basically think of like petting a dog behind the ear when you get this certain thing, which is independence in a toddler. And they're much less responsive, even rebuffing of neediness, dependency, negative emotions, things like that. The reverse is true for kids who end up developing preoccupied attachment. And what that looks like is that the, there's still misattunement, but it's in the direction of they don't like the independence. They, they, they're they not as good at supporting the free play. I mean, the parents, the, the parents. parents. Mm-hmm. That's right. As a matter of fact, if the child is afraid, then preoccupied parents do great. <laughs> they They know what to do with that. And they're very comforting and they're very soothing. Because they can relate to it and the child reaches out to them. That's right. And so often there's also a sense of confidence. They've come to you, they're holding, they're clinging to you, so there can be a sense of comfort. I know what to do here. And there's almost a reward system for that where the exploratory play from a parent that has insecurity in themselves They can read that as, what do you think, like threatening or almost rejecting or that they're getting too far away and there's danger, danger in the world. That's right. That's right. So they'll pull them back Mm -hmm. or they'll make them feel bad for it. So this is like in in older kids, it might look like having a problem with their peers and their friends. It makes me think of my mom who she's not on this side of the continuum, but it makes me think of this as, you know, blood is thicker than water. You know, that's what she would say about friendships. And, you know, don't depend on those friends because later in life, they're not going to be there, but your family's going to be there. And so that's the kind of thing that you might hear on this side of things, which is it's not supporting necessarily that self-development or that separation or that independence or the motivation could feel very loving. A lot of times it is if you get too far away, you're in danger and a sense that the world is not quite safe. So you need to kind of keep close to me. And if you think about it, the parents that are watching their kids sort of with this anticipation that a fall could happen any minute, or if they're on the bike where they can't tolerate their own anxiety with the child either getting too far away in danger or too far away from the relationship that could evoke a sense of rejection or abandonment in the parent. So it makes me think of, you know, we want to move towards security. We want the kids to be able to go and play freely. And we want to also be available should they need us. And it makes me think of one of the rules that I had with the kids when they were little bitty was, you know, is it an ankle break or, or, you know, or a head break? And, you know, is this lethal what they're doing or not? And if it's not, to let them go and let them climb the tree and let them jump on the trampoline and let them climb the little cliff or even spend the night with somebody you're not so sure about only because they feel good about it and you end up supporting their self-development, basically. Which in order to do that, you have to, as a parent, tolerate some anxiety, right? If yeah, you don't, it, really, it really sucks not to be chosen, <laughs> you know what I mean? That they would rather spend time with their friends than yourself, you know, that, that's, that's not fun. <laughs> right, so, you, so being in tune to the anxiety is important, and as a parent, we are. But if you're over in tune to the internal state of anxiety, that may make you more preoccupied with the dangers of the outside world. And the message then becomes to the infant and the developing child, world is not safe. Don't go too far away. So exploratory behavior in these kids, it's seen as a lot riskier in their own body to get too far away. And so what it looks like when they're very little is that in some of the very early studies, Mary Ainsworth in the strange situation and Mary Main with the adult attachment interview 
is that these are the kids that they protest when they're separated from their parents, just like secure kids do. But the difference is when the parent comes back, secure kids will calm down very quickly because their problem is resolved. Parent is back and they're ready to play again. And they can develop, they feel a sense of trust. That's right. They're like, oh, well, that was weird. And now everything's okay again. But the kids that are on more of this red side, on the preoccupied, anxious side, sometimes it's called angry ambivalent. And this is why that they will go to the parent very quickly, but they won't quite let the parent soothe them. That instead they'll reach out, want the parents to pick them up. But then as the parents picking them up, they'll push away and turn their heads away and not let themselves be soothed because they're not sure. It's just like you're saying, Anne, it's, they're not sure that the parent is still going to be there. So they both cling and, but they're also can be angry and blaming and not quite let themselves settle only because of this insecurity that they're not really trusting people to be there. So that in adulthood, you can kind of see, you can translate that, that we might get caught in an angry state and be sort of blaming and not being aware of our own part of it because we get hyperactivated and basically our attachment system it gets exaggerated. And so we begin to be very sensitive to separations or feelings of abandonment. That's such an important point. And to contrast it again to with a, a baby that has been able to be brought up with a sense of security in the green zone, that it affects our brain development, affects up the entire physiological information processing system that says, oh, comfort and closeness to another person brings security and will actually soothe and calm myself physically, where in the insecure states, that's not reliable, hence the word insecure. So what we're talking about with preoccupied, I love the way you're putting it, that the body's getting very, very activated, but you go towards the secure parent and the body doesn't really feel a sense of completely calming down. There's some connection, there's some calming down, but they don't trust it to stay, which keeps that elevated state a little bit. It keeps that kind of very difficult to soothe. And so if you think about it as an adult, if you get in that place, sometimes it really is difficult to feel soothed. That's right. So one of the things, you know, we want to move quickly to both understanding what it, what causes it, but then also what it looks like in adulthood, but then also what to do about it. Right. So if right. you can identify with this side of the continuum, and again, we keep calling it a continuum because any of us can be any of these things, and we use these strategies to keep closeness. But when you identify with that side of things, what we want to do is we're already overly attuned to other people and we are sensitive to feeling rejected and abandoned. So we want to move that and our interest and our curiosity from the other person to inside ourselves. So rather than being vigilant outside, we kind of want to turn it to vigilant inside. What are you feeling? What do you need? What do you like? What do you want? And the truth is, if you're pretty red, in other words, if you're pretty preoccupied, those are hard questions to answer. Even things like, what do you want? Which restaurant would you like to go to? Like making decisions is actually quite anxiety provoking. That's a really good point. So part of the ways to sort of see it in adults is a a very highly preoccupied individual has a really difficult time making decisions, partly because going inside and reading yourself and staying there is really hard, as well as because you're so used to being preoccupied with what other people want in the world, 
it makes it very hard for you to choose something that may disappoint somebody else. So you can't, it's very hard to attune to your own body because you're constantly vigilant or preoccupied with how to keep closeness, how to not be abandoned or rejected. So pleasing people and going with what you think everybody else, you need a consensus is that what's going to make everybody happy is going to make you happy because that's how you get safe in the world. So decisions are really hard in that context. That's right. And so that points to a direction to go with it, which is to begin to work on having your opinion. <laughs> do you want Chinese or do you want Mexican, you know, food? And if you're the one that says, I don't know, it doesn't matter to me. What do you want? Every single time, that might be a sign that you fall on that That's realm. Right. So it might sound silly, but it's, it's actually just a, a very small example of like, why don't you begin to have an opinion and state it? And if you can think of that as like, define yourself, be more defined. And another way I think of it is like when we get upset, when I'm in the red, you know, I'm on the ceiling, I'm very hard to soothe. I feel like things have just happened to me. But there's a way that when I go that big in my emotionality, that I'm not taken very seriously. But there's probably a nugget of something that is very real. Like, I probably do have a legitimate complaint. I just turned the volume up a little bit too high. So the lovely thing about this is it's like, we want to hear you. Or if you're a partner of someone that is more in the red zone, it's like, we want to take them very seriously that they're onto something. They're not crazy, but they don't trust that if they don't raise the flag totally up to the top, that they'll be taken seriously. So we take people's complaints and protests and anger very seriously, but also we stay really calm and we don't sort of overreact or eye roll and say that's ridiculous or what have you. One of the recommendations is you sort of treat it like when somebody's hyper, they call it hyperactivated, which is very sensitive to the, you haven't texted me back and where are you and you're late and that sort of thing. It's an exaggeration of a normal, healthy response, which is looking for closeness and looking for your comfort. And when you're in that state where you're overly activated, really what works with that is for people to come towards us, even though unintentionally we're pushing people away because we're kind of freaking out. <laughs> and we really need people and, and we, we feel that people. rejection. So that freak out can come out like a panic. That's right. And, and we're not aware that it's pushing people away. Right. Because so there's a sense of desperation and so that depending on how far out you can get on the continuum, that desperation can come out pretty, pretty intense, which then... And it can it, sound kind of blamey. Well, yeah, it is. It is. I, I kind of think of somebody who lives in the blue zone, their frequent complaint is, how can you say this about me? And their frequent complaint is somebody who's very in the red is, how could you do this to me? Oh, that's great. I really like that. That's a nice, fast summary there. Fast summary of kind of, well, how could you do this? How could you leave me? And so unfortunately that usually sounds in other people's brain as a blame. Well, like it is how, blame. It is. Bla <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It is. It isn't that, except that what it is, is really, I feel so rejected and abandoned. What did I do to create that is often the underpinning of it because, you know, somebody in a preoccupied state is that they do feel a lot of self doubt of their lovability yes. and, and their ability to draw in and keep relationships. Right. If I let go, you're a helium balloon and you're going to float away. So I better hold on as tight as possible. Mm -hmm. So often it's seen as, it can be felt as clingy. Yes, absolutely. Uh, clingy, angry, those are the kinds of adjectives often. And just like the, on the blue side, it's more about independence and being zipped up and kind of being too much alone. On the red side, it's more about fear of being alone. 
and not mm-hmm. quite trusting ourselves to be okay and be and regulate ourselves on our own. So, so sort of like you said, the overactivate, we talked about that the blue zone, there's a lot of underactivation of the right. attachment system. You're describing the overactivation of the attachment that if you separate from me, I won't be able to make it. I won't I be won't able to be, survive. I won't be okay. Well, because I think that you're not going to come back. And, mm-hmm. and, and I fill in the blank with these assumptions of I must have done something. What did I do? I'm going to start ruminating. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. That's kind of how it sounds. Mm-hmm. And notice it's very externally oriented. So on the red side, though, what it looks like is uh, I'm going to assume that if I'm not holding on, the whole thing is going to fall apart. But if I can begin to find my mind, then it's like, hang on a minute. I've been in a relationship with this friend or this partner or my child or my parent or whoever it is for X number of years. I haven't always felt this way. I think of it as grappling hooks backwards and forwards. I haven't always felt this way. And I'm not going to always feel this way. Probably this person's going to emerge again or we're going to not be fighting again or what have you. And we're going to be okay. But that requires some reflective function and some skill, cognitive skills of containment and thinking. Where we're going on this is a balance between our thinking and our feeling so that we have both. Right. So if you're, I think what you're saying also, if you find yourself overly charged and overly activated in feelings that you can't have any rational thinking that involves you, the thinking that's usually activated in this place is what somebody's done to you, but you're not able to self-reflect and see yourself as existing in that relationship beyond rejection. That's a sign that you're overstimulated with feelings and, and flooded. And so I think I love what you're saying is you, you have to kind of help yourself get back online. And part of it is recognizing, and this is what's hard in a preoccupied attachment, not only are you fearing rejection and abandonment and seeing evidence of it, you'll see evidence of it in all things, in many things that don't actually have to do with you, but you have this sort of this over self-referential aspect that people are, these signs are of rejection or of abandonment. There's also this underlying assumption, and I think this is what's important to remember, that if you do get rejected or abandoned, you're not okay. Not only is the need for the relationship to be stable, there's this underlying fear you're not okay if you get left. So that's what creates the panic and that sense of survival. Like if he leaves, if she leaves, the fear is, oh my God, what will that mean? And sometimes we have to back off and go, wait, even if they leave, I've been alone before, I can do it. And work in that part where it's self-referential, knowing you're going to be okay even if you do get left. And it's unlikely with all, like you're saying, to the past and the future grappling hooks, that there's evidence that this person's rejecting or leaving. They just might be angry at you. And remember how earlier we talked about that the parents aren't as good with the child's exploratory behavior? That that's why as we grow up and we've and we've kind of internalized that, that if I go away or if I disagree with you, then I begin to panic a little bit because in my cells and in my DNA kind of or in my Petri dish that I was raised in, I learned without knowing that I learned it, that if I separate from you by having a different opinion or even like I want Chinese, but you want Thai food, that that becomes very threatening. That's part of what the indecisiveness is about is that it can create almost a panic because it has to do with autonomy and separateness, which often is connected with disconnection. 
Does that make sense? Connected with this connection? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're pretty heady. So let's bring this down into like, what do we want listeners to know really from what we're saying here? I think we want listeners to know that to recognize that we don't live in any one of these categories, right? You might recognize yourself in places where you feel very, very secure in relationships, you feel very secure. And in certain relationships, it might bring out the incredible red zone in you and others, it might bring out the blue. But if you really recognize what we're saying in yourself about signs of preoccupied attachment in yourself or somebody that you love, to remember that it's coming from an involuntary place of insecurity. And sometimes we get angry at one another for these signs. Why do you keep thinking I'm going to reject you and abandon you? Look at all this evidence. And and you could respond through anger that way rather than really understanding these are involuntary, deep-seated things that come that says, I see signs of rejection even when they're not there. And I can't help it. You can't rationalize that out of me. You have to help calm me down from a place of security. And then we can go into the evidence that I haven't left you. That's right. And so so that's from the partner's perspective to the person who's read. If you are the one that's read, this part's, I think, super important, which is that we can't always look to the other person to soothe us. And it's our job to do things, for example, like become aware that we're having an exaggerated reaction. And right. the way I think of it is the channel's right, but the volume's too high. You're probably onto something, mm-hmm. but it's probably not as bad as you think. Versus what can happen is like, because I'm feeling this, you must have done that. And what we're saying is, no, just because you're feeling that doesn't mean that anybody's done that. It actually might be your own history and that you're triggered. And this might be more about you than what's been done to you. And that's good news because it means that the world is actually safer than you feel. And the more that you can begin to, again, get your thinking back online and do some containment and some self-soothing a little bit, then you're going to be more available for that relationship that you're actually trying to hold on to. That's a really, really great point. And to kind of remember that you need that relationship But in order to be able to maintain it, you have to be able to self-soothe. If you primarily feel like I cannot do this because you can't do this, you're caught in something. Because our self-soothing, why we need a partner to help us self-soothe, this really has to be something that we have that internal capacity. So with the blue, we were talking about that they end up tending to self-soothe themselves and not turning to other people. Red tends to be, I have to have you in order to self-soothe. And if you're not there, all bets are off. That's actually a false belief. That's right. So another thing we want you to do if you find yourself in that category is rather than being externally oriented and scanning everybody for how everybody's doing, we want you to increase your curiosity and your vigilance and your interest and your care for how you're doing. So listener out there, like do a little body scan. Like how are you feeling as you listen to this? And who are you identifying with? sort of which side of the spectrum? Do you find yourself a little more holding on or do you find yourself a little more zipped up? Do you find yourself constantly having a sense of doubt? Did I do that right? Do you leave events going, did I say that wrong? Do Do you walk away going, I think I hurt somebody's feelings. Oh my God, I need to call them. They're going to be upset. And you find yourself doing that really, really frequently. It's probably a sign you're over in the red way too much. Right. But notice what all that Anne said was all this externally focused thoughts. So what we're saying now is like, if we roll that back around to an internal 
focus, it would be like, wow, I'm really stirred up about what I said. I'm saying to myself, Sue, you are, you're really obsessing about this versus what do they think of me? Should I call them? Da, da, da. You know, that's all external. Where, where you're preoccupied with what they're thinking of feeling. Yeah. We want, rather than in tune to your own. Right. So what we, we think of that as like an inside out approach. We want you to move internally, be curious internally, because that's going to help you self-regulate enough so that you can be caught by the other person. Because unfortunately, if we're only outwardly focused, even when we get what we want, it, we're terrible at letting them yeah. help us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, terrible about trusting it. Because what happens if you've had to throw a fit for it, and then you've now thrown a fit for you've rejected me, you've abandoned me, you never call me. Now you have to go through this process of the person's doing those things that you've asked. You're like, well, you're, not, you're only doing it because I told you to. Exactly. That is right. And you know, if you can begin to notice your own cues that you're in a little bit of a trigger, it's again, it's often related to separation or you feel like you've lost connection. And if you can just begin to know, oh, that meter is off a little bit that I'm, I'm probably, you know, I feel it at an eight, but it's probably like a six or a four. That's actually really, really helpful to do. And the other thing would be know that probably one of your triggers might be defining yourself and feeling separate, that that's probably very difficult. And so if you can just begin to roll that into your own self identity of like, oh, that's really hard for me, which means I want to work on that. And I'd really like to like put my stake in the ground and have an opinion and or even explore internal ideas or explore new things I might want to do. So if you're on the red, those kinds of things have been probably discouraged unconsciously, like you don't even know that they've been discouraged, but you can feel yourself discouraging them. And if you think about doing them, they bring you anxiety or you think, oh, that'd be selfish. I'd be letting everybody down. Selfish is good. Yes. That's yes. what we're saying. We need, <laughs> be selfish. <laughs> if you think of selfless is to be without self. And so sometimes it means like if you have been sort of brought up to believe to separate from me, you're being selfish. You're like, okay, I can't have my own independent self. I have to please you. Being selfless means you have no self. We want you to be selfish, at least in the body scan, like you're saying, at least in, okay, what is it that I really do want? Even if, if you can imagine everybody being happy, no matter what, what would you really want to eat for dinner? that's right yeah surprise people around you and you know start demanding things a little bit not demand maybe but what's really super lovely about that is that people then will know you more and they can begin to attune to you and they can begin to be curious about you that's what's been shut down and that's what we want to reactivate so those are just a few little tips and tricks. <laughs> I'm going to throw one more out. Yeah, please. And that is, you're talking about when somebody is completely overactivated. You know, you kind of can tell yourself, I'm a little too activated. But oftentimes, if you can tell yourself that you're already a little calmer. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, you know, so, so name some, it to tame it. Exactly. So it's really hard when you're up there. And so one policy is, you might be able if you're that far. I love that. Have your personal policy. Have your personal policy. If you're that far up, the personal policy being, I'm going to tell you I'm pissed. I'm going to tell you I'm angry, but we're going to come back and talk about it when I'm a five. Yeah. So <laughs> your own policy is because you, you can't not tell them if you're in that if you're that activated and you're in the red, you're going to tell I'm so pissed. I'm so angry, or hurt, or hurt, or, or, or but. I would suggest that you step back and say, and you're going to really hear about it as soon as I calm down. <laughs> Strike while the iron Strike is cold. <laughs> exactly. On that side, 
On the blue side, we want to strike why the iron is warmer. Yeah. <laughs> On the Say red anything, s- please. <laughs> please just talk to me. <laughs> Quit. The other one is, can you just bring it down? And you get to say, I am so angry. I'm so angry. I'm so angry. You did this to me. But let's talk about it when I've calmed down. And what I really like about you saying that is that it's you taking yourself way more seriously and you'll be taken more seriously because what you have to say is very important, but we're going to be able to, when we're on that side, we tend to say too much and we blow our listener away. There's no way anybody could catch that ball. Let's do this. It's a sign of preoccupation. Isn't it is it? actually it, one of the absolute signs in the AI. Verbose. Yes. So you want to be thinking more about what you actually want to say and deliver it in little nuggets that the other person, like a soft ball that the other person can easily catch. And that way you'll be more successful in your communication and you're taking yourself more seriously and you're going to be taken more seriously and probably get more of what you actually want. Right. Because what you think you want is to be proven right in all your evidence. <laughs> it's kind of like a merger. Yeah. Right? Well, that's true because you, you, you have a hard time not merging. So you want to present all the evidence. Of, and have the person totally agree with totally you. Totally agree with you. And when you can't, and this is a real sign of the red, when you can't get the agreement, you can't stop. Yeah. Like, no, you have to understand, you have to accept. And that actually isn't true. You can stand separate from somebody when you're in the more secure zone and have differences and then go, what is it I really need from this conversation? I don't really need to be proven right. What I need is for you to hear that my feelings are hurt. And you can't do that when you're you're at a nine or a 10. You're going to have to back off to know that your feelings are hurt. So as we wrap up again, I want to ask everybody to do their own body scan. And really just see if you can notice any reactions, thoughts, feelings about what you've heard today. Because that's, again, the direction we want to go is security and what the green looks like is a balance between being able to understand your own state of mind and the other person's state of mind at the same time. And so at any moment, we can kind of reflect, like I'm just asking you to do now. It's like, oh, this is, this is where I am. But then also you're able to stay connected to the other person. And again, blue gets too, or, you know, we're we're on our own, we're individual. So we want to move them towards relationship. Red, we're wanting to move towards self. So there you go. I wish that was so easy to do. And we could. That's just easy. Let's just wrap it up. Now y'all got that. Let's just sure to implement. We're done now. (laughs) Boom, boom. Mic drop. (laughs) But I'm going to drop one more little hint. And of course, what's so exciting about this, and this is why we get excited, is that when you develop a deeper understanding of these things, being able to put it in action in any of your relationship, whether it's parenting, romantic, brother and sister, it really, really is helpful. And so we're going to go on to utilize these things to help you take it to another level. But I'll just drop one more little nugget. If you recognize yourself in the red zone, and again, you might not live there, but when you're very upset and high risk, you're likely to go over to that zone. And if you recognize that maybe your partner goes way over there to the blue, if you remember what I said, the blue in in the previous episode, the blues, one of the biggest threat is the threat to the integrity. So when you start telling them, you did this to me, their first response is going to be, I can't believe you say that about me, right? And boy, I can tell you that goes in a circle like no one's business with couples. So here's one little tidbit that I'll throw out. Give that person you love in the blue zone some credibility. I like to call it a credibility statement. And that is, I know you would never hurt me on purpose. And I know you wouldn't abandon me. I kind of believe that. But 
this and this and this happened that hurt my feelings. I will tell you, you will dis- disarm them on a much greater level. But that's just one little tidbit. We have so much more to offer when we kind of wrap these all together and in some of our future work together. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you did, pass it on to somebody you know that might really benefit from it. That's our goal at Therapist Uncensored, and that is to spread security one episode at a time. Another way you can help us do that is if you take some time to rate and review us. That always helps other people find us as well. Just a reminder again, we will see you November 2nd for our season six jump off. Until then, I'll see you around the bit. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 